opportunity and the joy to get to celebrate you, what you've done, what you've done in our lives. Thank you, Lord, that you're such a good, good father. Thank you. Thank you. Praise the Lord. I pray that you would teach us today to praise, uh, to not let a rock shout in our name, but to, to shout out to you because of everything you've done in our lives and in our world and in eternity. Thank you for being such a good, good father in Jesus name. Amen. All right, I would tell you to sit down, but I think you got that. You seem like you, you're like, I'm sitting down no matter what happens next. I'll be doing it sitting down. Great job, worship team, man. That was good. I might have missed a cue there or something, huh? Is that possible? All right, that happens. <clears throat> Sometimes. Whew, man. Hey, you guys all right? Is everybody okay? All right, good deal. Look at the person next to you. They look okay? Just give me a nod. Sorry, sorry. Anybody looking at someone who looks kind of rough? You're like, whoa, man, you should have went to bed earlier, man. All right, it's good. Okay, so this series, we're learning how to live. Learning how to live in the life that, that Christ purchased for us and the, the life that Christ has and possesses. And so today we're talking about celebration and learning to celebrate. And we're looking at, you know, what we call through the liturgical year, Palm Sunday, coming into Holy Week. And, and, and before I get into the message, let me just... Uh, coach you as a pastor, this is the week that you need to be focused on, on God, on the Holy Spirit, on your faith. This is the week that you need to be tuned in. And then when you figure that out this week, then you just duplicate that every week of the year, 52 weeks a year of Holy Week, okay? So what we're doing this year is we're celebrating today, you know, celebrating Christ's triumphant entry into Jerusalem. We're going to talk about that, going to make some observations about it. Friday night, obviously, Pastor Steve's already pointed out, we're going to do a reflection on the cross, crucifixion. We're going to come together and just together, communally, and whoever will join us, reflect upon what Jesus has done. And then Saturday night and Sunday, same service, both times, we're going to blow the doors off, okay? We're going to get rowdy, all right? If you go to church on Resurrection Sunday and it's dead, something's wrong. So... <laughs> I expect you guys to be exceptionally annoying next Sunday and Saturday night. Is that okay? Can you do that? Can you help me? All right? Okay? You're like, what does he mean annoying? Well, never mind. Okay. So, celebration. So, uh, let's see. I'm looking at a room full of people. Some of you used to be young. Some of you are still young. <laughs> when I was when I was a youth back way back in the dark ages back in the 80s um, yeah <laughs> way back there back back when hair metal was cool um, and uh, then we all lost our hair but uh, different different story uh, you know there was a, we'd say uh, coming up on the weekend we'd say let's party now I know you guys are too spiritual for that but I was a carnal dude and uh, so 
You know, we'd say, let's party, let's celebrate. And there was even some song. Was that Richie, somebody dancing on the ceiling? We tried that one night, but it was not, it didn't work well for, I can't remember whose house we were at, but there were repairs necessary. Anyway, um, why in, in our youth, you know, people look for reasons to party, to celebrate, to cut loose, I guess, so to speak. And, but, but why? And, and I, think, I think a lot of the times in our youth, you know, we just want to have fun, celebrate our youth. But also, uh, a lot of people are using celebration as an escape, as in a way to disconnect from the problems of life or a time, a, a night, a weekend, or something like that. But celebration is not the devil's idea. If it were up to the enemy, no one would ever celebrate. Because he's not a happy dude. And so God is the one who invented celebration. And what I want you to see today as we come into Palm Sunday, as you see Jesus enter Jerusalem, I want you to see that God intended for the day to be celebration, even though there were lots of reasons not to celebrate. There were lots of reasons why you might even think celebration would be inappropriate for the day. But still God ordained that it would be a celebration. And so that's what Jesus Christ enforced. In fact, throughout the history of Israel, you have these annual and seasonal celebrations that God put into Old Testament law so that every year, regardless of what was happening in life, regardless of who was on the throne or how well or poorly politics were going, God ordained celebrations throughout the year because celebrations are not about Circumstances. Celebrating is not always about things going well. You can celebrate when things stink. In fact, if you don't learn to celebrate when things stink, you'll never celebrate. Because something always stinks. Something's always going poorly. There's always some place in life you can focus that's not a happy place. So, we're going to look at John 12. Jesus comes into Jerusalem. Steve's already set up the, the coming down of the donkey. So we'll look at John 12, verse 12. The next day, the news that Jesus was on the way to Jerusalem swept through the city. A large crowd of Passover visitors took palm branches and went down to the road to meet him. They shouted, praise God, blessings on the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Hail to the king of Israel. And Jesus found a young donkey and rode on it, fulfilling the prophecy that said, Don't be afraid, people of Jerusalem. Look, your king is coming, riding on a donkey's colt. So Jesus comes into town, and he's riding on this colt, and he's fulfilling prophecy. He's coming in peace. This is critical because we'll come back to that word. He's coming as the king of Israel and he's coming in peace. He's not coming to go to war. He's not coming to straighten everything out. He's coming to not just be at peace, but to bring peace to the nation of Israel. Now, here's the thing. If I had been Jesus on this day, I don't think I would have been happy. I don't think I would have been a happy guy. Jesus knew, in fact, if you read the Matthew account in Matthew 26, Jesus had just told them, I'm, I'm going to Jerusalem. They're going to nail me to a cross. And three days later, I'm going to get over it. And so, you know, he's coming in Jerusalem knowing he's going to be killed in a week. 
Knowing that the same crowd that's, that's going crazy today is going to be chanting crucify him in just a few days. He knows all of this. I would have been melancholy. I would have been sad. I would not have had the energy. I, I would have saved all of my energy for the cross. I would like, I'm not cleaning out the temple. They can clean that thing themselves. <laughs> I'm not arguing with those Pharisees. Those long cats will figure it out when I raise from the dead. I'm not going around healing people and teaching people truth. I'm tired. I'm going to save everything up for what's coming. That would have been Michael. I would have made a terrible Messiah. You already knew that. <clears throat> but the King of Kings, God the Father determined that that day would be triumphant. God the Father determined that that day would be a celebration. And there were realities around that day that were not good. But it was all going to end up good. And so the Father ordained that day as a day to celebrate. And so that's where the celebration began. So we today, I want us to learn how to celebrate with three simple ideas. Because I don't have time for seven. <clears throat> like we did two Sundays ago. John, no, that was last Sunday. Anyway, John 12.3. Then Mary... Same chapter, just a little earlier. Mary took a 12-ounce jar of expensive perfume made from the essence of nard, and she anointed Jesus' feet with it, wiping his feet with her hair, and the house was filled with the fragrance. I want to begin here on the triumphant entry into Jerusalem. I want to start with Mary. Because Mary shows us something, and Mary took an opportunity that no one else got. Mary took the opportunity to anoint the body of Jesus, although she did not know that's what she was doing. And I want you to see how costly this was for Mary. I mean, this bottle, what Judas estimates the value of this bottle of perfume or ointment at a year's wage. I mean, what do you have in your life that's worth, I mean, besides your truck, that's worth a year's Wage. This thing's expensive. And you know what? I don't know how Mary came by this. I don't know if she saved up and purchased it. It seems unlikely. It seems like it was probably a gift or an heirloom, something she'd received an inheritance or something like that. All I know that this was most likely the most precious thing, the most expensive thing, certainly, in her possession. This is what she's going to give Jesus this day. Now, to, to really wrap your head around that, though, you've you got to kind of climb into the moment of John 12. She's, uh, she's in a house, uh, maybe Martha's, maybe another's. I can't remember exactly which text we're in right now. There are a few accounts, and the disciples tell the story in their most unique ways. But she's in a house with Martha, and there's Jesus, and there's the disciples, and there's Lazarus, who just, just a few days before, a few weeks before, he was dead. He was dead. Now, the Scriptures put Mary in this incredible light. I mean, she gets... There's something about Mary that we need in our lives. But one of the things you see about Mary is that when, when Jesus shows up and Lazarus is dead, one of the first things she says to Him is, if you had been here, if you had been here, death would not have done this. She knew from the very beginning, Mary knew from the start, 
that even death was afraid of Jesus. And so, you know the story. We talked about it not too long ago. Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead. Not Lazarus. That's another Bible. The redneck version. Um, the, cotton, the cotton patch translation. <laughs> but, uh, so she's in this room and Jesus is with His disciples. And Lazarus, who should be dead, is there. And he's talking to the disciples. You ever watch a group of men around a table talking to each other? It's just like a group of women. It's just lower. <laughs> they sound like, instead of hens, they sound like roosters, I guess. Anyway, so. Uh, <laughs> and she's looking at this conversation. And Jesus did this. Jesus gathered these 12 men and now Lazarus is sitting at the table as an equal with the guys who are going to change the world in one way or another. Have you ever been at a place with God that you felt so blessed and so overwhelmed with His goodness that you couldn't do nothing? You couldn't do nothing. Put yourself in Mary's shoes. Lazarus is supposed to be dead. She loves Jesus. She's the one that when Jesus comes to town, she's like, we don't need to eat. I'm sitting here. I'm feasting on anything this guy says. I want it all. And then on top of all that, she's one of the few people in the Scriptures to come to know Jesus in the way that she knew Him. Not even the Apostle John knew Jesus like Mary did. And she's, she's heard Him. She knew He was the resurrection of life. She knew that death was afraid of Him. And then Lazarus is alive. And now things have been restored. She couldn't do nothing. So she had to do something. And she knew what she had to do had to be worthy. It had to be worthy of Him. It had to be worthy of the person He was and the love that He had. And so that, that, that bottle of anointment, the ointment, that... that perfume, that thing that was the most expensive thing in her life that was more valuable than almost anyone owned at the time. That was what she decided that Jesus was worth. He was worth everything. And so Mary's preparation for the Holy Week was this act of sacrifice, this most extravagant and costly thing because Jesus could never be given something less than everything. And I think this is the problem with Western Christianity today. Is we live in a world where almost anything is considered a waste when lavished upon Jesus. Because as soon as she poured that ointment, the smell began to fill the room. You really need... You don't just need to read the Bible. You need to stop and live it. You need to step into these passages. And she comes in and she's just being her subtle, glorious self. And she comes in and she doesn't ask permission. She doesn't care if anyone sees her. This isn't about them. 
And she just walks in. They're sitting, leaning against the table in an Eastern style with their feet behind them. And she just comes up on the feet of Jesus. And she cracks that bottle of ointment and she pours it over his feet. She wipes the ointment with her own hair. Likely she's just pouring tears as she's doing all of this. Jesus knows He's enjoying being loved. And then some idiot spoke up. More idiots ruin great moments, don't they? When you, if you're getting married soon, you should put that on the, RS, the RSB, RSVP card. Are you an idiot? Check. Don't come. We don't need any more idiots. And there's Judas. He's the, he's the one who tells us how much the ointment's worth. And he says, he says, and you gotta think this is Judas who's about to sell Jesus out for the price of a slave. At this point in Judas thinking, everything's worth more than Jesus. And she pours it out, and the, the perfume hits the room, and it begins drifting off, and it starts to get people's attention. And I could make a joke there about perfume and, and older ladies at church sometimes, but I'm not gonna. I'm gonna <laughs> let that go. <clears throat> Praise the Lord. I'm glad you let that one go. Uh, he'd get beat up by a bunch of purses later. They began to hit the room and everyone began to notice what's going on, what's going on, because the fragrance of Mary's deed began to get attention. The fragrance of Mary's deed began to get attention. And then the judgments came. Oh, we should have given that to the poor! Well, I'm in charge of the bag and I take a tithe and everything goes through it. So yeah, let's do that. Why did she do this? This is embarrassing. This is a lavish waste. And you know what Mary did? Mary did something. She had a spiritual gift every Christian needs to acquire. We need the spiritual gift of I don't care what you think. She didn't care what those guys didn't understand, what they couldn't understand, because they didn't know Jesus like Mary knew Jesus, guys. you got to understand that. They were following Jesus, they were learning from Jesus, but they did not have the ability yet to grasp the heart of God that was represented in Jesus. You actually needed a woman for that. Okay, a little lesson for you guys who just got offended. God <laughs> created man... He created Adam and Eve in the image of God. Adam and Eve in the image of God. When he created Adam, he said, this is a masculine statement of who God is and the image of God. And when he created Eve, he said, this is a feminine statement of who God is and the image of God. Adam and Eve together have something to say about who God is. And 12 guys were missing half of the image of God. And so it took a Mary to show up and know the heart of God in a way that she could know it. And so Mary loved Jesus. She didn't care what happened. She prepared for that moment and she prepared Jesus for the moment he was about to face because everything Mary did out of an outflow of her heart was actually an illustration 
She didn't know this. She was just moving in the heart of Mary. And you have to remember that when you move closer to your Father and you pursue Jesus, you'll be moving in a pursuit of your heart for the Father, and God is going to take your life and make it a sermon, an illustration, a letter to someone else. And what Mary did that day was she taught us exactly what Father God was doing. Because what Father God was doing was He was about to take the most precious and expensive thing in all of eternity, His one and only Son. Expensive even to God who owns everything. And God was going to take His Son, just like Mary took a bottle of fragrant perfume that had to be broken to be used. God broke His only Son and poured Him out for a bunch of worthless sinners, at least worthless to us but incredibly valuable to Father God. So my friends, if you're ever going to celebrate, you've got to prepare. And when I say prepare, that means you have to understand that celebrating what Jesus has done and focusing on what God has done is worth everything. You will never give too much to God. Too much time too much sacrifice, too much love, too much worship. That will never happen. Too much and to God should never be in the same sentence. So if you're going to celebrate, you've got to learn to prepare. And so we learn to prepare. Second thing we learn to do is praise. Now we might have a little fun here, but we might not. I don't know. We'll see how you guys are doing. Make sure I don't scare you too bad. Luke 19.37 tells us that when they reached, we left in John 12 where Jesus was on the donkey, headed in Jerusalem. Now we come to Luke's, Luke's account in John, Luke 19. When Jesus reached the place where the road started down the Mount of Olives, all of His followers began to shout and sing as they walked along, praising God for all of the wonderful miracles that they had seen. Praising God for all the wonderful miracles that, he could, that they had seen. So what I want you to see is they're coming into town and Jesus is coming in peace and people are starting to wave palm branches and, and declare Jesus the King of Israel. He's coming in and they're celebrating. And like I said before, Jesus knows what's about to happen. But still, this is a day of celebration. Jesus knows that these people don't know what He's there to do. He knows they don't understand why he's riding into town on a donkey. We look back historically, hindsight 2020, and we realize, oh, he's doing that to say they come in peace. But they don't know that. They actually didn't want him in town on the donkey. They actually wanted him in town on a war horse, kicking Rome out of Jerusalem. That's what they, they wanted. That was the Messiah they were looking for. They were looking for the, the, the Hulk Messiah, not the Jesus Messiah. Hulk smash Rome. You, you follow me? You're not following me. Okay, all right. Never mind. I will try not to use relevant modern pop culture references uh, anymore. Why, why celebrate? Why, why does God ordain celebration? Um, when things aren't perfect. And this has been a stump. This is one I've been really chewing on. I mean, because it's... Some, for me, I have a hard time celebrating. I'm not a celebrator. I'm not, I'm not a celebrator. When, when things, when I accomplish a task or I win or when, whatever it is, I'm just like, okay, next thing. That's me. I don't like, yay, we finished that thing. I'm terrible 
at that. My wife annoys me and makes me stop. He says, hey, we should celebrate this thing. And I'm like, no, there's more things that need doing. <sighs> anyone else like me? He's, okay. You're like, no, I'm not telling anyone in the room <laughs> like you just did. I'm not doing that. What can you count on in this life that's not God? In the end, what can you count on in this life that's not Him? People will fail you. You will fail you. Systems will fail you. The thing, I mean, I don't know if you've read Revelations, but it sounds like things get a little scary. Weird. By the way, the book of Revelations is, Revelation is not meant to scare. It's meant to comfort it's meant to show you that, yes, the world's going to go nuts, and ta-da, God's still in control. That's what it's meant to tell you. And so, in this life that's always going nuts, we, we, can't, we can't always celebrate just because things are going well. Sometimes we have to celebrate just because we have a God who's awesome. Sometimes we need to celebrate just because God is God, and He provides, and He steps up, and He's going to make things okay. I mean, things might not go well. I might have problems. Things might go far worse than I thought. But still, God is God. And God is still good. And God still blesses. And God still provides. And God still walks me through. Amen. That's why we praise God. We don't praise God because the circumstances, oh, good, good things happen today. Praise God. Well, you know what we should also do? Bad things happen today. Praise God. We have to realize that the issue of praise is in itself a weapon. Against the things that, that harm you, the things that tear your life apart. Praise is powerful. God notices when you praise. He notices everything about you. But man, when we begin to lift up that voice and begin to sing out and, and, and declare that my faith is not in this world. My faith is in the goodness of God. How do you do this? I think one way that you can do this is to learn to be... And this is hard for me, so I'm just going to preach this at myself, and you tune in if you care. Learn to be a noticer. I know, I don't just believe, I know God is always doing wonderful things. Yeah. Just doing wonderful things. And, and it's good when we learn to notice. Okay, I'm going to tell you about a, a one little dumb, silly, wonderful thing that God did for me just this week. I had to go to Walmart. God help us. <laughs> Man, the devil built that place. When you say Walmart, my feet start hurting. We used to have to go in there with like six or seven kids. And so I have like trauma when I go. When the door slides open, I start getting jumpy and stuff. Scary. I'm going to Walmart. Say, what, what good can come out of Walmart? Amen, brother. I pulled in off a gateway or whatever it is that goes up the hill. And I pulled in the drive and, and I'm getting close to the door. And there's a parking spot, three spots deep, that Papa saved just for me. You say, well, Michael, he knows you need to work out. He should have put one further out. <laughs> and you're not wrong. But Papa loves me. And has a wonderful Amen. will for my life. And, and he saved me. I say, what? He knew I was in a hurry. And he's just like, he said, you know, I know your feet are going to hurt, so let's let them hurt a little less. And you say, Michael, that's just, that's just a coincidence. I don't believe in coincidence. 
I just don't. I, he said, well, do you believe in faith? No, I believe in God. I believe in a God who, who loves me and cares about me and that even if the parking space had been all the way down at Starbucks, that would have been good too because I'd have got a coffee and then walked over to Walmart. <laughs> right? I'm just saying we need to learn to notice because God does wonderful things all the time. He blesses us all the time. All the time that people will let us, they'll say, why would anyone say nice things to us? Well, I'm a nice person. Well, you know you. That's to be all the argument I have to make right there. You know you. But someone will say to you at work or something that you're involved in, and they'll say a kind words. Well, thanks for doing that. You know, when you did that, it really encouraged me. Or something will come up. Why is that? Well, because I'm a good person. No, because you have a good God. And what that good God did was He helped someone see the goodness that God had manifested in your life. We have to learn to notice. That's all. This is, this is a, a very basic principle of the Christian life. If we can just begin to learn to notice some things and see that the world is actually full of blessing. The world is actually full of blessing and abundance. And stop focusing. The, the enemy, the, the darkness has all the advertising. He's the most obvious. Because when you're an idiot, you have to be obvious. So Michael, did you call the devil an idiot? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> he used to be worship leader in heaven, and he gave that up to be his own God. That's stupid, okay? And so <clears throat> we need to notice and learn to notice things in our life, and we need to embrace opportunities to praise. We need to do this. Oh, my goodness. You, you, ever, um, you ever needed something from God? Like, I don't know, my back's been hurting for like a month now, and you, know, you need your back. You ever been like you needed part of your body healed? Or you need, God, I need you to fix this because I'm a mess. And he's like, well, let's look at your diet. You say, no, 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 not that way. I don't want to fix that. <laughs> no, no, no. I just need a miracle. All right, just miracles. He's like, here's a carrot. He's like, no, miracles. I pray for a lot of people with, with, with injuries, backs, uh, cancer, diseases, whatever it is, and, and I pray for things. And you know what one of the key things is to healing? Is praise. Praise. Which, what do you mean? Well, someone prays for you, like in my case, the back. And they're like, God, heal this back. Maybe, maybe they believe in authority and they say, back, heal in Jesus' name. You say, Michael, that sounds a little crazy. Just ride with me. I'm up here and you don't have a mic, so just hang on. <laughs> and here's what, here's what happens. This almost always happens if you, if you focus and you think about it. You're like, okay, what's God doing? You, you never try and give God credit for something he didn't do. But that's what the enemy does. You just celebrate what God does. And so all of a sudden you're like, well, you know what? I'm actually moving a little bit better. It still hurts, but I'm moving better. Here's what we do. We're like, okay, man, we're started. And as soon as God finishes, I'm going to praise Him. So we need to fix that. That's what we need to fix. Because what we need to learn to do is, is that when God gives us a, a little bit, He's actually giving us something to steward. We're stewards in life. That means that we are managing the stuff that's God's. Okay, and so when you notice, okay, okay, this is a little better. Here's what you do. You say, praise the Lord. Praise God. 
And you start praising God for what He's doing and what He's done. And you never know how it's going to be. This is a practice that can go anywhere. Say you need $1,000. In my notes, I put down $100, but I realized that that's nothing anymore. It's worth uh, $60 since last year. But anyway, so say you need $1,000. And all of a sudden, uh, something happens and, and, and someone gives you 20 bucks. Now you're like, I need a thousand dollars and someone gave me 20 bucks. And here's what we do in our human thinking. We're like, okay, God, uh, someone gave me 20 bucks, but I need a thousand. What's going on up there? Are those accountants in heaven not listening? <laughs> Is someone missing zeros or something? What's going on? And that's, that's, that's not praising. Here's what's praising is hallelujah. I got $20. Now I only need 980. Hallelujah for 20. I'm, I'm actually not kidding. Why would God bless you with a full blessing if you won't praise Him for a partial answer? Now, I'm not saying you earn blessings from God. I'm just saying our stewardship is to praise. This is what we get to do. So many times we're in life like, I want to do something great for God. Okay, do something great for God. Praise God. Praise Him. Is your marriage in a better place today than it was a year ago? Well, yeah, it's better, but it's, it's still rough. Well, praise Him for the better. Have you struggled with your children? And, and, and from a year ago, they're better. Things have improved a little bit, but it's still hard. Praise Him for the better. Why? So you can get the rest? No, because God is good. And He's blessing you. And you're not noticing that He's blessing you. So we, we have to notice and see God's hand and God's work is, is in our life. Learn to embrace every chance to praise that you can. Praise God instead of questioning His goodness. In fact, when we start to question His goodness and start to, to question His care, we're actually praising the other guy. So praise God for His goodness. Okay, does that make sense? Learn to prepare. Learn, get, nothing's too much for Jesus. Learn to praise. There's so much going on. And learn, lastly, to pray. Learn to pray. Now, you're going to have to ride with me on this last point. Oh, man, where'd the day go? <laughs> three o'clock in the afternoon, guys. Didn't you look up? Anyway, so uh, now you look. Oh, it's not three. Oh, I feel better. He can go for a while. See what I just did there? Um, <clears throat> as he came close to Jerusalem and saw the city ahead... This is the triumphant entry, right? Palm Sunday. He's on the donkey coming to Jerusalem. He came close to Jerusalem, saw the city ahead. He began to weep. I, I wish, how I wish today, how I wish today that you of all people, talking to a city of people around in Jerusalem, would understand the way of Peace. He comes on a donkey because he's coming in peace. And he's talking to the people going, oh, how I wish you would understand the way of peace. Because they didn't want a peaceful Messiah. They wanted a war Messiah. And he's coming in peace. But now it's too late and peace is hidden from your eyes. What does grief have to do with the triumphant entry. 
The more I study the issue of grief, the more it pops up in Scripture. God is opening my eyes to not just its importance, but also its power. Jesus is coming into Jerusalem right now, and it's a moment of celebration. You know, he's, he's not just, uh, he didn't invite anyone to celebrate. They just started celebrating. He encouraged it and he defended it, even though the people there didn't even know what they were doing, really. They didn't understand who he was or why he was there, or what he was there to do. But now, as he's coming upon Jerusalem, he sees this city that Father God loves very much. And he's bringing to this city this precious, powerful gift of peace. And they don't want it. They don't want peace. They don't see a need for peace. And Jesus is weeping because he knows, and his he knows that in 35, 40 years that city is going to be leveled. Those people, many of them, will be destroyed. We have to learn that the problems that are in our world. The problems, in our, I hope you hear this. We have to learn that the problems going on in our world are not economical problems or medical problems or food source problems. The pro, there's one problem afflicting the entire world and it is a rejection of God. That is what is wrong. You want to fix the country? It's not going to be a social program. It's not going to be a party getting into office or the person you think should be there until the United States of America, until Wyoming, until Rock Springs bows a knee to the Lord Jesus Christ. There is no answer. You have to know that. Jesus knew this coming into Jerusalem. These are supposed to be God's people. And God's bringing them peace, and they don't want it. They're rejecting the very heart of God, which is a heart to restore and a heart to bring peace. And so Jesus warned them, but it was too late, and so he grieved that. And this is why I think grief is so powerful. I think that we are in a, a time in history right now that we are suffering from all kinds of unfelt grief and disconnected grief. I think the last two years has taken so much from us. I think we've lost a lot. And what we've done is we've done what we've been trained to do as Americans. Just keep on going. Cowboy up. Just one more day. I got some new goals, new visions. Well, that's stupid. Say, Michael, did you call me stupid? No. That is a line that the enemy is pumping onto the world because if he can keep you from grieving the things you've lost, he can keep you depressed. He can. What do you mean? Until you acknowledge a thing and feel a thing and know that the thing should not have happened, you cannot release the thing. This is why Proverbs says that laughter can conceal a heavy heart, but when the laughter ends, the grief remains. You have to understand that God's purpose in your life is to heal you. God's purpose in your life is to heal all your wounds, all your broken places, all your traumas, all of it. That's what He wants to do in your life. But if the enemy can keep you from ever going to those places and ever feeling what you felt and identifying what was wrong, then he can keep those wounds and strongholds in your heart. And so God says to us through Jesus on the Sermon on the Mount, God blesses those who mourn for they will be comforted. 
Do you want God's blessing? Does anyone besides Frank want God's blessing? Thanks, Frank. Well, here's how God says to get it. Mourn. See, that doesn't, that doesn't fit American thinking. If you want to feel good, you got to go out and do expensive things. Buy something. That'll make you feel better. Get a new iPhone and pay for it for the next three years. <clears throat> God blesses those who mourn. God blesses those who acknowledge that horrible things happened in their lives and happened to them. God blesses those who know that those things hurt. God blesses those who know that God was in those moments mitigating everything possible that could be mitigated in those seasons. God knows that when you come to Him, He comes to you and He heals. He restores. Once Christians learn that they can be free from their traumas and their wounds and their broken places, the church will change this country or this world. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted. He rescued those whose spirits are crushed. Jesus is about to do something for God that had never been done before by going to the cross. And in this moment, as He comes in Jerusalem, He's inviting God the Father near as He grieves the loss of Jerusalem. The loss of a nation who rejected a Messiah who brought peace because they wanted a Messiah who brought war against their enemies. Why do we want anyone punished? We don't want to be punished. But that was what Israel wanted. They wanted to punish everyone who wasn't them. And so as soon as we learn that, as soon as we learn to let go, then then we can be free. And the last thing I want to point out is that when then Jesus cleansed the temple in Luke 19.46, He said, The Scriptures declare, My temple will be a house of prayer, but you've turned it into a den of thieves. Let us prepare. Let us praise. And let us learn to pray. What if I told you that your life is a product of your prayer life? What if I told you that your marriage was a product of your prayer life for your marriage? What if I told you that your finances were a product of your prayer life regarding your finances? What if I told you that the state of the world today was a product of the prayers of the people who call themselves Christian? What if I told you that? Would you believe me? Well, before you argue with me, let me just ask you one question to really sink this in. Do you pray? I was reading a book this week on, called Revival Fires by George Waugh. It's a history of the revivals that have affected the Western world since the Reformation. Do you know in every major spiritual awakening, uh, do you know that every major and minor spiritual awakening has affected any city, any state, in any providence, any, any government at all? Do you know what's the one thing they all have in common? The preachers were different, the manifestations were different. But there's one thing that every single one of them had in common was that there were people in every movement that realized that realized that they desperately, desperately needed God. 
And they began praying for God. They didn't pray for God to fix their country. They didn't pray for God to make their life easier. They began to hit their knees because they knew that they desperately needed a father in God. And so they began to seek God. And let me tell you how desperately these people began to seek God. Almost in every situation, you have people gathering for prayer, not for 20 minutes, not for a prayer breakfast or a prayer lunch or prayer luncheon. You have people gathering and praying for days and weeks for God to be real in their life, for God to have mercy on them, for God to connect with them so that they might know God. And once that desperation locked in and those people began to pray after a season, I think what happens is, I don't think you earn the presence of God. I think He freely gives it. But what I think what happens is when you focus on prayer is it cleans you. I think what happens is the more you pray, the less of you inhabits your life, and the more of heaven fills your heart. And I think that is what releases God's Spirit in revival. It's not people necessarily with needs. It's people who are willing to get empty to receive God's goodness. You want to celebrate? You want to really enjoy Easter? Learn to pray. Learn to, to get a hold of the Old Testament image of the horns of the altar. Sorry, that's probably doesn't make sense to many. But to, to just walk, go into that holy place that boldly walk in the throne room of God and ask God, talk to God, let God tell you what's on God's heart. Change you, change your family, change your life. What if your life is a product of your prayer life? And if you look at your life right now going, well, it's, this is okay, but that's not great, that's not great, that's not great. How's your prayer life about those things that aren't great? Because the more you pray, the more you make room. And I'll be honest with you, I think that Rock Springs and Green River this county, state, this region. I think they desperately need someone to hit their knees and beg God, talk to God, plead with God, clean, come open and empty before God for this place. This is our place, right? This is our city. This is our county. It's our place. And I want this place to look as much like heaven as it could. Don't you? And that's what the triumphant entry is about. Here's Jesus coming to town and people realizing there's something different about Jesus. There's something powerful about Jesus. And Jesus is shaking the city by his presence. And that's what we can do. If we can't do anything else, we can invite the presence of God to shake this city in places that didn't even know it needed to be shook. So let us learn to pray because we are here to pray for this city. So what, let me conclude, we're actually about to do communion. So I'm sorry, I got my brain skipped. If you guys have record players, I notice they've come back. Every now and then you'll notice if you bounce the table, they'll skip. My brain does that all the time.
One of the things that um, hinders us from celebrating Easter or the works of God or God moving in our lives is often we just don't understand how much a miracle it is that we could be saved. My son called me up this week and he, uh, I don't know how, he, he said he had listened to Jonathan Edwards' sermon Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. And I'm not sure how that's possible because Jonathan Edwards died long before things could be recorded. But uh, somehow he, he heard a recording, at least a, it was attributed to him. And he said to me, Dad, I, man, he, he really makes God sound mad. And I'm thinking to myself, uh, that's because God's mad. He's saying, well, Michael, but God's mercy and all His grace. Yeah, but one of the things we forget is that God is holy, and we are not. And that God saving us was impossible. It was just straight up impossible. There should not be a gospel. There should not be a plan of salvation. It just shouldn't be. But there is. You know why? Because God... With God, all things are possible. And you have a God who, who not just, He took an impossible situation. There was no way to logically or legally save mankind from the choice that Adam made. And yet God made a way. God sacrificed His one and only Son. And so you need to realize that salvation is the greatest miracle of all. And you also need to be, if you are like trying to decide whether or not you should follow Jesus Christ or become a Christian, you, you need to realize that becoming a Christian is a straight up miracle. And the very fact that you think you can judge God as worthy or unworthy of your allegiance just proves how sinful and insane we are. It really does. And so... Part of communion is coming to terms with the fact that our situation was untenable, it was impossible, and God made a way. This is what makes grace so wonderful. This is why we celebrate Easter, because there was no chance in the world that you and I could be, have hope, be saved, and be healed, and yet God made a way. So when you begin to come to terms with that, that will help you step into Easter and rejoice in what it's about. So would you stand with me? I grab your cup and this thing separates in two pieces. We're going to do communion on Friday night as well, by the way, just so you know. Uh, I hope you can figure this out. I, I would tell you, but I realize I'm probably going to pour this juice all over myself if I try and show you how this works. Matthew 26, 26, as they were eating, Jesus took some bread and blessed it. And then he broke it in pieces and gave it to the disciples, saying, take this and eat it, for this is my body. So let's take the bread together. The body of Jesus broken for us, just like Mary's flask of ointment. Verse 27, Matthew records, And Jesus took a cup of wine and gave thanks to God for it. 
And he gave it to them and said, Each of you drink from it, for this is my blood, which confirms the covenant between God and His people. It is poured out as a sacrifice to forgive the sins of many. Father God, I just want to release the blessing of heaven on the communion. I know miracles happen when we as a body come together and commune with each other and with God about what God has done. I pray, God, that you would teach us this week to really and truly and soberly, seriously, joyfully walk into Holy Week. I pray, Lord, that today we begin a triumphant entry into everything that God has for us through all of the suffering and into the joy. I pray that this week is a week of reflection, of focus. I pray, God, that we would put the world in its place for this week for sure. That we would let it know that the rest of the world runs second to Jesus this week. And I pray that establish a pattern that every week becomes that for us. I pray that you would teach us to prepare as we come into Easter. Teach us to celebrate and praise your mighty name. And Lord, I pray for prayer, that you release a spirit of prayer upon us body, upon this community. I pray, Lord, for a spiritual awakening to the goodness of God when we pray. I challenge every person in this room to pray for something specific this week and watch God bless them and and give to them. I pray, God, that as we go through this week, that you fill us with joy, fill us with sobriety, focus, but joy. Yes, our salvation is infinitely expensive. And thank you, Father, that Jesus paid it all. In his name I pray, amen.